This episode is brought to you by Barry on HBO. The second season of Barry was hailed by critics as stellar, damn funny, and audaciously original. 17 Emmy nominations, including Outstanding Comedy Series. Visit hbo.com slash FYC for more on Barry. In a very short time, British writer-actress Phoebe Waller-Bridge has wowed with her penchant for flawed and unpredictable female characters in Fleabag. But that's not what Waller-Bridge just creates. Rather, she has a great pulse on humanity. As much as Fleabag is a show about a single woman's journey through London, the BBC Amazon series also says a lot about how we can maneuver our own dysfunctional families. Fleabag received 11 primetime Emmy noms, including Outstanding Comedy Series and Lead Actress Comedy for Waller-Bridge. On today's Crew Call, she tells us why season two is the last season and her future plans. So my first question to you is season three. Word on the street is there's not a season three. Why is there not a season three? <laughs> because it has to end that way. So, so what, what, tell me your thinking on this because it, it ends. She's found love, but she, it's a love that she can't have. And she need, but yet, you know, she could still go out and find someone who's going to tell her to do something every day. What? Is it if you went for is the thinking like if you went further then oh it gets uh, then she's gonna meet Mr. Big and <laughs> we've all seen that. It's more sort of about her relationship with the camera, really. I think that the camera was operating as a sort of uh, crutch for her, but also as this persistent witness to her life that she both needed, but also provided her with so much pressure to be on. And I think for me, the first season was about this confession that she had to you know get out of her system to the audience and the second season it's about working out what she needs to do to be able to leave the audience alone for good and uh and i think having fallen in love and realizing she can love again and that that does exist even though it's in a different form from what she had with boo it's kind of freed her to grow up a bit and she's sort of at the end she's saying i don't need you anymore and you don't need me anymore. So there was a, there's an article out there. And it's like a fan fan article, not not quoting you. And and they were talking about your dialogue with the camera and like who she's talking to. Mm. And it's not necessarily to us. Is that true? Did you change like were you talking to us and then it switched to boo at some point and then or or am I asking <laughs> Two Star Wars of a question here. <laughs> not at all. I do know. Um, oh, deciding whether or not I should say because, in some ways, I love that it's open to interpretation for people. Like I like that. I like that people take for what they want from it. That's fair. So, even okay. So I'm very excited about your next chapter. So. Since this is ending, is it is it all about HBO's? I, I know you're rewriting Bond. Uh, is it all about HBO's run? Well, I'm not writing run. Okay, uh, I'm exec producing run, and uh, the showrunner is Vicky Jones, who was the uh, director of the original stage play of right. Bag. And this is absolutely her show, and it's just I mean, it's her baby. She's writing it. She's showrunning it. You know, I'm just there um, supporting her and exec producing with her. So. 
uh, a lot of my heart is in that show, but it's very much her show. So I'm going to be uh, in that as well, which I'm really excited about um, towards the end of the year. I've actually finished working on Bond. So um, by the end of the year, I'm going to have a little bit of free space in my brain. <laughs> now, do both, Vicky and you started a, a theatre a theater company together. Do yeah. you still operate that? Does that go on and do shows outside of you? Well, no, not really at the moment. We do, like, whenever we we create work, we always, we basically created it to protect our own work. Um, but so we are producing it, co-producing it, the, the, the return of the play to the West End with Annapurna and Soho Theatre. Um, and then beyond that, we used to do these new writing theatre nights, which are kind of like um, 10 playwrights every month would write something for us under a certain brief. And we'd really like to bring those back. Um, but it's basically there as a kind of safety safety net for for us when we want to produce our own theater work so um so i grew up catholic and so the whole thing with the priest (laughs) totally know it and relate to it okay good and i loved how you handled it because it's so real that's literally how it happened i've known like four priests that have left to go get married Huh. But except wait, the th- the fourth one actually, you're gonna love this. He was a Jesuit. He left to go have a thing with with a lady, and then came back. Oh no! They allowed him to come back. And oh my so God, the looming X. Yeah, he went so, back to the X. But everything, the way that it was handled. Tell me about the jumping off point for that because it was a really, it's a really interesting upping of stakes because. Here you are, you talk to the camera, you're confessing to the audience, <laughs> you have this guy, you know, mm. you have like the, an ideal person you can confess to. Tell me about that. What was your inspiration for the priest and everything? And is, is it based on a real person that, I don't know, you heard of? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, no, I mean, I wish it was. <laughs> no, I, um, the, the idea for the series came in kind of in sort of fractures, really. I sort of, I... I realised when I looked at my notebook over the last that I've been making notes over the last year when I was writing Killing Eve and I was making notes for Fleabag and when I went back and looked over it I had loads of like religious jokes or perspectives on religion that, uh, and I was sort of like oh that's so surprising I didn't think that would be where the series would go um, so I knew in some ways it was going to tackle faith and religion it's my bottle top <laughs> um, and then um, but then this idea of her falling in love kept um, knocking on the door I wasn't quite sure who and then and but then obviously you know, those things that's come together, you start going, maybe at the church, and then someone she falls in love with, and then I thought about the priest, and then I thought that was way too on the nose, really, to have a kind of priest in a comedy that Fleabag falls in love with, and so I was kind of really resisting it, until um, I thought about Andrew Scott in the role, because then I was like, my God, to, for, to have Andrew playing this character just affords it so much complexity, and so much, sort of, he, he'd be so um, grounded in it, and also incredibly funny, and so then, then this character just burst into life, so that was really the the trigger but then the idea that she met someone who was a match for her um because she can reduce in the first series she can reduce a person to um a really offensive little kind of epithet you know she can be like tube rodent or arsehole guy or someone like that and um and i wanted to create somebody she couldn't do that with that he was too surprising too too uh interesting and complex and then um so all those things combined this priest character just started coming out of the the smoke and uh and and i'd also already previously thought it would be really cool if somebody else noticed her looking at the camera um 
And so when, so then it's just like putting a puzzle together, all these separate ideas. And then, and then as the puzzle came together, it was a picture of Andrew Scott in a police outfit. <laughs> but that's the way it happens. It, yeah, it happens yeah. with, hey, come over. Let's have some G&T. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know. Often, you, yeah. You tell me everything. It's not, they're not being nasty. They're just, it's just a. Oh, you mean actual priest? Yeah, yeah, with the priest, yeah. You the went and had a G&T No, no, the no, 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 no. But the <laughs> That's way you how it handle happened? It, no, the way you handled it, it, to me, is like so real from all the stories I've heard and everything. Oh, really? really? The stuff that I've witnessed, like there was like at my church, the pastor went off and said, I'm leaving and I'm getting married. And he had a sermon about it. And I believe all priests should be married. And he headed to Florida. Oh yeah, I've seen. Wow. There was the there was like, hey, you know, kind of like the hippie young guy. Hey, you always have the great homilies and stuff. <laughs> totally, he hooks up with a woman. The bishop sent him. I grew up in Vermont, to north of Canada, <gasps> to like Potato Town or something like that, something like north of Canada. And he came to his senses and he left and he he got married and he became like oh, a good like a him. drug drug and alcohol counselor. Oh, God, so, I thought you were going to say, like, a no, 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 like, well, but I've seen it. Church to another. <laughs> I've seen it all. And it, I was like, oh, man, she handled that wow. so well. Oh, I'm so pleased you think so. Um, and then what I love about it is it's a, it's a family show. Like, uh, there is a moment. Well, before I go into that, there is a moment where you have you nearly had me in tears. Like, when I say tears, I mean, like, crying, crying and um, emotionally. And that good. was when you went into the... Um, confession stall and i'm like she's gonna tell him she's gonna tell him that she feels guilty over booze over booze suicide and i'm like and then you didn't do it but i still cried <laughs> tell me yeah. about that what was that conscience like she's holding back she she was she was holding that back from him could you yeah. could you tell me a little bit about that yeah my, my instinct was that she just she couldn't bring herself to tell him her darkest secret. And like, and even though it felt like that would be a really good marker in the sand for the show, like when he disco- discovers her, her past or her secret and he forgives her or whatever it is, you know. Um, but when I was writing her speaking, I, I physically couldn't write the words because I don't know how she would tell him and I wouldn't. Uh, and actually their relationship is bigger than that. It's bigger than him dealing with one of her traumas really, really well. And so I didn't want to go too far in, into that. And, but I think, you know, luckily with this flashback thing, you can see, cause we flashed to it a couple of times in the confessional, you can see how much she's desperate to talk about it. But that's, that's still the darkest place of her that she doesn't trust another person to, wow. to still love her after that, yeah. which was the original idea with the audience is like, if you do you still love her after you find this out? Um, and it would be the same journey with him. I think she's just too exhausted to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's a beautiful family show because just everything, the dynamic with the father, with the, with, with the godmother, and of course, Claire. Um, tell me about writing dialogue for Claire and Flea. Now, you've known Sean for, you know, since you, yeah, since since you were at the school, Royal, yeah. since drama yeah, yeah. school. Had, tell me about that. Why was she the one? And is that an easy stream of, like, your dialogue is just the jokes and everything and her resistance, like, like, don't say it's a big office and, and you with your, you know, your, your, your suit, you know, your dying friend and your jokes and your great jokes. You think you're all that, but you're actually doing good for you. You're in a, don't say I'm in a big office. And then the other thing from, I'm sorry, I'm reviewing this. It's just in season, in season one, 
where she says, I can't wait to grow old. Yeah, yeah. If it's any consolation, you look older than you are. <laughs> um, tell me about that. That stri- Tell me about writing that. Is it literally like you just go and you rattle it or is there improvisation involved or anything? No, it's all written. Um, I mean, I send Sean everything from really early on because I change quite a lot of things as it goes along and I really, really trust her judgment and she has such a um, sort of emotional response to it really quickly and she's incredibly good at story and uh, and she's got an amazing brain for that kind of thing but she also is just ready to be moved by something that you write so she's the perfect person to speak to um, and really these two it's that really thin line between love and hate with those two that that Fleabag can't help but tease her sister even though she knows it's taking her to the precipice <laughs> but she almost wants her to jump off the precipice and um, and Claire sort of can't look Fleabag directly in the eye because I think she's so she's so filled up with this kind of jealousy for Fleabag's freedom um, and her kind of looseness um, and yet she cares about her so deeply that she's frightened for her and that she wants her to be um <laughs> Robin Williams had a joke during the 60 Minutes thing that happened he goes whoa that's my ride ah. <laughs> it's one of the oh, best uses of a siren in an interview <laughs> I'll try and think of something good for the next one <laughs> um, so uh, so yeah so they, but that that, that um, that energy between those two characters does just come pouring out of me. And I knew when I was going to do the second season, first of all, that I wanted to give Sean the opportunity to show what a kind of Olympian she is at acting. Um, and, and just to give her a bigger emotional arc that isn't completely defined by Fleabag, that it's, you know, her own, her own world. And, um, and then, and also there's something so joyous about knowing you've got someone like Sean and you can go, anywhere with her and she will ground it and keep it real and she was so you know extraordinary um but yeah their kind of snipiness and the, the, the claire's always trying to hold it all so tightly inside of her and she's as long as everything's just really still and in its right place then she can be calm and then feedback just wants to come in and just like move the pencil or just you know like turn the light off and then claire has a meltdown and then part of the grounding is she loves you no matter what and you're both on the same page when it comes to the godmother. It's like, yeah, yeah. let's just get through this, you know. Um, I think it's fine. Always finding the things that surprise you about character, like Claire, um, the, the times that Claire doesn't freak out, the times that she isn't anal, or the times that Fleabag's completely thrown by something that Claire says. Those are the really joyous moments for me when Claire surprises us because she is kind of, she's edgier and cooler than, uh, than even she knows, I think. Even Claire knows. And that's not an element of her I really love. Kind of. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Barry on HBO. The second season of Barry was hailed by critics as stellar, damn funny, and audaciously original. 17 Emmy nominations, including Outstanding Comedy Series. Visit hbo.com slash FYC for more on Barry. So this is a compliment when I say this. This isn't reducing it, and this is, this is my, own, my own theory. <laughs> In terms of you speaking to the camera, were you a Marx Brothers fan? Because it reminds me a lot of Groucho. This is a. It reminds me of Groucho, like the the eyebrows and everything oh, cool. with the jokes and everything. <laughs> like, I'm not that familiar with the Marshalls. Oh what my god! Say? I was. I we. It really. It's a one. It's a wonderful nod because, like, when you're. Well, I, I don't want to be inappropriate, but when you're in a sticky situation, you say something about a guy and you turn to the camera and your eyebrows <laughs> go up and you have a joke. I'm like, oh my god! Oh it's, really? Yeah, it's it reminded really me. 
it, it reminded me. Does it remind you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when they're in sticky situations with guys, they yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, 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 with, well, <laughs> they turn to the camera. But the, and... the, the the delivery, you know, the delivery of the joke. That brings me to who you know coming up. What were some of your favorite um, playwrights? Um, you, wh who were some of your favorite playwrights? Who were some of your favorite comedians growing up? Well, favorite comedians. Uh, Eddie Izzard was a was a was a huge. I mean, he was huge in our household, and um, I'll never forget. I, I, what I love about his stand up is that he can be completely ridiculous. And very very silly with with really quite serious heavy topics like like he'd tackle religion in a way that was just so electrifying and so silly. And I remember all the, and it's, his does him doing animals always made me really happy. <laughs> so Eddie Izzard was really um, was big, and then Ab Fab watching Ab Fab as I was uh, growing up, uh, they had a huge um, impact on me as well. Just that they are allowed, like outrageousness can be glorious, um, and them being so unapologetic. When we first started um, uh, the theatre company, we were working with all the kind of um, up-and-coming playwrights who were Jack Thorne and James Graham and Lucy Kirkwood and, you know, all these amazing playwrights that were, uh, that had the biggest impact on me I, because we, we were, I wasn't writing then and neither was Vicky. We were just producing these new writing nights and I really have to say that even though they were like contemporaries at the time, I learned more from working with them on those short plays and the constant questions we would ask them and the challenges we'd give the playwrights were um, things like, you know, how do you make an audience fall in love with the character in under five minutes? That's your challenge. You've got five minutes. Go. Not any props or anything. And then all the audience would be holding little heart-shaped helium balloons and when they fall in love with the character, they'd let go of their balloon. So you could see when... And the impact of a character and when it would... And we do all these little experiments all the time. And so it was working with that gang... Um, and like a lot of them, like the ones I just uh, named, are huge, you know, names now. And uh, but working with them really, really, really helped define what I love about theatre. So um, David and I uh, have done work with the Upright Citizens Brigade Theatre here, so that's how we know of oh. Brett Gelman. Ah, oh. and um, and I was curious how you found him, what you saw him in, and then. Um, did you ever see A Fish Called Wanda? Yes. So, I mean, if look, Brilliant us Americans film. are very impolite, crass, idiotic. <laughs> and I, and it, it reminds me of Otto in... <gasps> yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In, um, it just adds a whole dynamic to someone who's a punching bag. Could you tell me about that? Where you found Brett and then, and then making that character in America... <laughs> America. Yeah. Well, actually, it was um, so Amazon. So uh, Joe Lewis and Ryan Antolina, um, who are you know execs at Amazon, and who commissioned it, they were really keen to have an American character in the show to kind of be a little bridge between you know the UK and the US when it came out. And um, originally, um, they were the people who suggested Brett. And I'm not even kidding. I saw his headshot, and I was like. Yes, that's Martin. <laughs> and he just had this look about him that was just already so funny. And then I saw him in um, Love and thought he was just um, excellent in that. And, and, um, but he, he came and he hit the ground just knowing who that character was and so fearlessly playing him as an asshole. 
but with so much love. Like he had sympathy for that character and he had empathy for him. And we talk a lot about how uh, Brett and I do about how Fleabag and Brett and um, Fleabag and Brett, no, that's unfair. <laughs> Fleabag and Martin are actually kind of similar characters. They're both really flawed and they both use the truth in a kind of weaponizing way. And, uh, and so str- strangely, they're kind of siblings in their own self-loathing and yet can't bear each other. And so that, that's, a, that's a really fun dynamic to play. But he is, there isn't anyone quite like Brett in the world, I he's, don't think. But he's I, can't. Really, I, mean, I feel so lucky that we had him. Um, then there's the torso statue. <laughs> and t- talk about using this prop in such a nuanced, brilliant way where it was never, I never felt that it was overused. And you took it from episode one all the way to the end. Like you, you tied a bow on it. it. It was woman subtle warrior to, she reminds me of your mom. I, I you know, when Godmother says, yeah. I, I, I formed her in your mother's image. And then you steal it again. <laughs> Tell me about that was such a, I mean, Gary Marshall had a saying, uh, you know, like, how do you make a scene funnier? Give him a hat. And in this, <laughs> you give him a torso statue. Um, talk about that. Is that. That was just wonderful. Oh, thank you. That was, uh, I did not see that coming either, you know, in the second season. It was a real um, yoke around my neck in the first season because it felt like, I kept saying, like, we have to create a story for this damn sculpture. And then the sculpture became the MacGuffin and it became the thing that actually ties the whole thing together. And, you know, it really taught me that you always need something like that. You need a thread, however however thin the thread. You need something that you can hang everything else off. And that just became the touchstone through the through the um, seasons. And then as we were coming towards the end, you know, we were desperately trying to, you know, and I say we, I have a story producer called Jenny Robbins, who's a brilliant mind mapping genius, like story mapping genius. And, um, and we were talking it through and we're saying, we need this, we need this little thing to like mean something more. And, um, it kept popping up like as the statuette at the thing. It was just an idea as it comes along as I'm writing. I'm like, oh, that would be funny if that was, I'm surprising myself a lot when I'm writing it. And then it felt like it needed to tie up and, and I just couldn't work it out. I couldn't work it out. And it was Jenny who sat in the room, the two of us, and I was saying, there's just something here. And she just knows the show and it came out of her like she was throwing up. <laughs> she was like, what if it's based on her mother? And I was like, oh my God. And then we all faced each other the rest of the day off and just went and got drunk to celebrate. Because when something like that, and you realise that sometimes when you kind of... Um, uh, you just surrender to the story before the story's been written. Often there are things that that feel like they were always meant to be. That only once you're really in the thick of it can you can you see it and pull it out. And then sometimes the story tells tells you what it needs to be. And that felt like one of those moments because I'll never forget when Jenny said it. I'll never forget the strange contortion her body went into. <laughs> so how far along were you when when she said that in season two? Were you what? Did you know it at the beginning, or was no, it like it was, was it soon after you did? Um, I, th- I believe it's episode three in season two with the award. Yeah, yeah. Award. I'd was already it- written that and that was all going. It was, I, I was writing episode six. So it was right at the end. In fact, it was right, right at the end. Um, and so then I had to quickly write a new scene for the godmother when she says that was based on your mother. But those, and, and so I had a kind of a draft of ep six already, but then when that, it was, you know, niggling about the, about what the, the significance of the statue was. And then when Jenny had that, moment and it just pulled everything together we just went 
back into the draft and just you know you hack it up again to make this because when it's that good that kind of a twist and and it feels so right and then we just put it back and so it was right in the last minute and i know you've gotten this question a lot but it's the entire thing is loosely based on people that have come in your life the the or like i know boo was a friend of a friend that was kind of in your oh no boo's boo's character is, is a kind of ode to vicky jones who is the most i mean delightful beautiful open-hearted human being in the planet on the planet and she uh, and so and she is also she looks quite like jenny rainsford or jenny rainsford looks a bit like uh vicky um, I thought about that. Yeah. I, I, I did think that. <laughs> well, when we first came over here, Vicky and I, when, um, and when the, the show was just, had just kind of landed here, and we were going to some events and stuff, and people kept coming up to us and saying, you two were great in Fleabag, uh, and they were com- congratulating her on her performance. She was saying, what's going on? And so I slightly, yeah, that was a, that was a kind of strange coincidence. And, um, but, but other than that, that's, and even she's not really like, I mean, she's not really like Vicky, but the, there was something about that friendship and that love that kind of just brought it out. But no, the rest of them are just sort of, they were all built around this central character and working out, you know, she needs what what we need. Harry Brabber, my director, always says, and he got this from somewhere else, I know, but I can't remember where he got it from, but you need to put your character up a tree and then throw rocks at them. And um, and each of those characters were built to be rocks, really, to throw it back. And... Um, and so they all came out of, of that. And of course, like little things, moments I've had with people or, or people I've met and, and, you know, I'll collect little like, um, like an essence of somebody or a, a, a line that I overhear somewhere and that'll help sometimes spark an entire character. Or, you know, like when you find out Olivia Coleman's up for, um, being in your show, you just, you just make it happen. I just went back in and created this character. That. Um, my last question is, and you you gave us a little advice, you know, throw rocks at your character. For writers out there, do you have any? What's what's the best? What's the best advice? Keep. Um, I mean, obviously, keep going. But I would say the best advice would be to um, sit down and write it, because I speak to so many writers who are talking about having to do treatments and breakdowns, and have, they have to be able to sum up their show. And this may not be a process that works for everybody, but it, the moment I gave myself permission just to sit down and let the characters talk to me and just see what came out on the page, you could be writing for like 10 minutes. I'll, I'll write something. I'll write a scene. The, one, of the, one of the first scenes I ever wrote for The Priest was the scene was before I even knew who this guy was. I mean, Andrew and I had a very long conversation about like love and hope and faith and sex and relationships and, when we first met. And so I had all that in the kind of bank. But I didn't quite know who this character was yet. And the first scene I wrote was the um, the scene in the vestry where he's talking about Piglet and drinking and he's drunk and everything. And I, didn't, I was like, that's the first thing I'd ever written of this character who's this kind of like drunk guy in the middle of the night talking about Piglet. I was like, who is this man that's coming out? But if I hadn't, if I'd tried to plan the character out first and his arc out first, I would never have found that stuff, I don't think, because you'd, you'd end up being too formulaic. And so I started writing him. That was it. And then I just put that on the wall on a post-it and said, you know, that, that scene has got to come in somewhere. And of course, you know, it wanted to be written. So it's slotted in. So I'd say let the characters, you know, talk to you before you do anything else. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.